What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 16, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 19th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood, and I'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is Michael Wagner. Now, have you defined success for yourself? Do you sometimes think, oh, I'm fine. I don't need to change anything. If these are questions that pop up for you, then this conversation is going to be powerful. Not because Mike is an author or speaker on this topic, but because he is living a life by design and working on himself to show up well for his family. Enjoy meeting my friend, Mike Wagner. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another Fatherhood Field Notes conversation. I'm really pumped to have carved out some time to talk to Mike Wagner. Mike, how are you today? Dude, Dad, I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, brother. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we've known each other for maybe almost three years now. We've just seen each other at the Front Row Dads events a couple times and had a few you know, lighter engagements. Um, but really, every time I hear you speak, whether it's on a on like a one of their summit calls or in person, just so insightful and and very self-reflective. So I'm looking forward to just having some one-on-one time with just you and I to dig into fatherhood. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it uh, as well, man. I appreciate you saying that. This is uh, uh, this is the kind of conversation that lights me up. So I'm very excited to have it with you. Yeah, it's it's interesting though because it definitely takes a different level of like, okay, if I go through my workday and then I've got to go to this n- another level of maybe emotional vulnerability and and engagement because it's like it's not just a light topic. It's it's like this matters a lot. So it does take some energy to uh, jump into the conversation, but it also gives me energy. So it sounds like you feel the same way. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's one of those things where at the end of the call, I know it's gone well if I'm uh, simultaneously exhausted and energized, if that's even true. But uh, totally, that's what, happen- that's what happens whenever we dive in deep. Yeah, so good. All right, so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions just to help my listeners know who I'm talking to. How old do you find yourself today? Uh, I had to have my son remind me of this. I told I told him I was 40 the other day and he goes, no, dad, you're 41. Uh, so I'm 41, <laughs> 41 years young. Awesome. 41. And how many kiddos do you have? Uh, we've got three kids. My my wife, Melanie, and I have been together for 24 years. We're high school sweethearts. And wow. uh, we've got three kids. William is our oldest. He's nine. And then Lucy and Emma, our two daughters, are seven and three, respectively. And so high school sweethearts, how many? You've been together 24 years. How many years have you been married? We've been married for 14. 14 years. Okay, rad. And then where does your family reside? Um where do you guys live in the country? Yeah, we spend most of our time in Western New York outside of Rochester for anyone who might be familiar with it. It's uh, about, I always have to tell you, it's the far side of New York where we have more cows than skyscrapers. If your listeners are envisioning Manhattan, it's the opposite of that. Um, and we spend about half the year, maybe a little more here. The rest of the year, we live on the road. We've got a, a fifth wheel camper that we pull around the country. Uh, visiting national and state parks and and trying to get to all 50 states at some point. How many states have you guys been to now, roughly? Uh, it as depends a family. On, 
Yeah, I was going to say, as a family, it depends on on how we keep score. Right now, what we say is if the majority of us, so three out of five, yeah. uh, have been, that's what we're counting right now. And I think we're somewhere in the mid-30s. Wow. That's awesome. And then how many national parks? Do you have an idea of that? Yeah. And, and again, it depends on how you count because my wife yeah. and I have been have been traveling to those for uh, since long before the kids. But uh, again, if we use a majority rule, I think we're in the mid-20s, mid to upper 20s, somewhere in that range. How many national parks are there? Uh, there's 63 to 65. Don't quote me on that. If you just count national parks and that's what we keep score with, but there's tons of national monuments, national right, forests, right. and that, that bring that number up into the hundreds. So, so what has been, so, you know, when my kids were younger, we went to, I mean, we've probably been to 20 or so, but out of the ones that you've been to, what has been your favorite national park? Yeah, great question. And uh, it's tough. I know it's in Utah. It's in southern Utah. It's either Bryce or Zion. Okay. Um, if you had asked me a year ago, I would have said Bryce. Now that we've returned back to them with a the whole family, I'm probably going to go with Zion just because of an epic experience that particularly my son and I got to have together uh, in that park earlier this year. And I do want to hear about that hike when we, you know, at some point in this conversation, um, my favorite park that we had been to was Olympic National Park, mm. uh, and just like upper tip of Washington. And I think what made it kind of fun is we weren't planning on seeing it. We just like went there for a, for like a little bit. And my wife and I just thought this is incredible. So then we ended up driving two hours back to where we were staying, getting all of our stuff and then getting back to the park at like the middle of the night and then spent two days there with our kids. And oh, uh, that's awesome. so it's kind of like the adventure, like spontaneity of it, which, yeah, I mean, I'm sure just like you, when you've got, you know, three to five kids you're traveling with, you're trying to balance that. Okay. We do need a place to show up at and they're expecting <laughs> us to be parking here to sleep uh, to also why we want to be spontaneous. A absolutely. And I, I love that dude. And it's, a, that's exciting for me because that is actually uh, our 2023 fall trip is supposed to be the Pacific Northwest and mm. uh, it's on there for sure. So since you do this a bit more, any tip, and I'm, this is kind of, I'm going rogue, but any tips, you know, back in the day, it seems as though if you and me were like, oh, let's take our kids to Yosemite in two weeks, we could do that. But now we got to go, okay, well, it's going to open up at midnight tonight for six months from now. So I got to be thinking about what I want to do with my family six months from now, which kind of takes a little bit of the zest out of it. So any, um, insight on that any thoughts tricks about that well yeah you're 100 right the gone are the days of spontaneity when it comes to getting a camper inside or right next to a national park a lot of them you can still get within striking distance so yeah. it's not to say they're off limits if you haven't planned ahead i want everybody to recognize that you can still get there and have fun you just might have half hour 45 minute drive each morning into the park and then scoot back out in the in the evening which is fine um we obviously prefer to stay right in the parks or as close as we're able to. Um, and it just works out for us. My wife and I are both, uh, well, she is particularly a planner. Mm, um, she okay. needs the plan and we enjoy it. That's part of what we, how we connect is after mm -hmm. the kids go to bed at night, like we've got it on our calendar tonight to sit down and talk about our, our spring trip next year, where we'll be going to Alabama and Mississippi. And like, we start looking at parks and, and picking things out. Um, so there's That's no getting cool. around needing to plan early yeah. if you want to be right in the parks. Yeah, which, you know, if you're going to do this, dads, I mean, part of it is 
when it's that campfire and you're all walking down and the ranger comes and is like sharing the story about the national park. You just don't really get that at the KTA, which we've stayed at plenty of KTAs when we have to, but that experience inside the park definitely kind of levels up the we're in a national park. You know what I mean? Absolutely. hundred percent true, man. So good. Okay. Back on track now. So to give you this level of freedom, what is it that you do for a living to provide for the family? And I say this all the time. I hate the question because most times we ask it to level each other up. The reason I ask it is to help dad see that if they listen to all, you know, 250 episodes, every two, 250, a dad has a different answer. And the point is fatherhood is a level playing field. So the struggles you and I have, it doesn't matter what we do. We're both going to have a 16-year-old who gets their license, right? We're going to have to deal with that. So what is it that you do for a living to provide for the family? Yeah, excellent. I, I love the way you preface that question. And I always say, I jokingly respond if someone says, what do you do for a living? I say, I live. What do you do? Um, <laughs> and then they, of course, want to know how do you fund the lifestyle? So I, right. I will tell them. Uh, I was a physical therapist by trade. That's what I went to school for. I got three degrees, um, uh, spent about a quarter million dollars getting smart on it. Almost practiced long enough to get my investment back, but not quite. <laughs> um, and I transitioned into real estate, first into uh, mul small multifamily houses doing the landlording thing. And then mm -hmm. uh, pretty quickly thereafter, realized I wasn't getting where I wanted to go fast enough. So uh, I made the transition into self-storage back in 2011. So call it 11 years ago. Um, and that's what we've been doing ever since. We we uh, own and operate self-storage facilities around the country. And then um, once we did that well enough to pay our bills and kind of set us free, the the proverbial next question uh, became, well, what's next? Mm -hmm. And uh, so about three, three and a half, maybe even four years ago, I lose track. Uh, I started an education company, um, essentially, and it's a community where we teach people how to invest in storage the way we do. Uh, the tagline that we use to describe what we do, and to me, it's much more than a tagline, is we use ordinary garages to create extraordinary lives. Mm. Um, so the 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 spirit of the of the education company is really about twenty percent storage and eighty percent extraordinary lives. The storage is very decidedly just the vehicle that we utilize to fund the life that we've defined for ourselves to be the one we want. Mm, dude, beautiful. I love the passion about it too. And and so it seems as though one, you did you start it because you needed a passion to fulfill? Or was it that you wanted to educate other people? Like where did the where did it come from that you wanted to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. And so um and at risk of be being too long-winded here, I'll I'll try to summarize it. Um what I realized early on is that uh if we don't define success for ourselves, we'll chase someone else's version of it. Mm -hmm. And I had done that throughout my younger years, high school, college, and even into my early professional career, um, where I jumped through the hoops that society told me to. Uh, and at risk of sounding arrogant, it worked, meaning I got my degrees, I got my good grades, I got a decent paying job, I had the house with a white picket fence and a decent car and a beautiful wife. And it was like, you know, it, it, on paper, I am, quote unquote, an American success story. And yet it never felt the way I thought it would feel when I got there. There was yeah. always, you know, of course, a little bit of celebration and excitement. and But every achievement had with it this novelty that ultimately wore off. And, and I realized that it was a race I couldn't win. There was no amount of material success or achievement-based success that was going to actually fulfill me. 
Um, and so that's where the education company came from. It's basically selfishly, it's a platform from which I can live out my highest values. One of those being stewardship. That's probably the the mm-hmm. highest value I carry. Um, wow. Where uh, for those that may not be familiar with the word, it's it's this idea that everything I have, the the everything, every blessing in my life, whether it's free time, experience, skill sets, knowledge, love, money, none of that is mine to do what I want with. It's been trusted to me by God, and it's my obligation, and it's yeah. a welcome obligation and responsibility almost all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes uh, uh, there's no getting around the fact that uh, you got to roll up the sleeves and put the work in, even when you don't feel like it. But most of the time, it's a very welcome obligation, and um, the the company is the platform from which I can live that out. Dude, I love that, and stewardship has really been heavy on my mind and heart right now. So we grew quite a bit in our company this year and feeling very leveraged at the moment, trying to just go into Christmas Advent season with peace and going, okay, this will all be waiting for me January 16th when we're back from our family trip. But kind of the two words for 2023 that I just pitched to my executive team is stewardship and stability. Like Mm -hmm. that's what we're moving into because so much transition the last year of us moving to Hawaii and uh, hiring and firing and all this stuff. So stewardship is a beautiful word. And I love your description of it and the heart behind it. Really good. Um, Mike, when did you embrace the adventure of fatherhood? At what point in being a father of three, did you say this matters tremendously and I'm going to go on an adventure? And because clearly your life is a reflection of that, right? You're taking half the year in a trailer with your kids. So you, you've embraced this. At what point did you shift maybe from that American white picket fence, I'm going to work 50 hours a week to wait, this is an adventure with my family? Yeah. Um, so of course, the you know, I, I always look at things that rather than a shift, um, a series of shifts that mm. happen, right? And and um, a change in trajectory, if you will, or I, I describe them uh, for myself as inflection points, where you know we're we're drawing this line and moving forward, and then something happens to tip us um, on a different trajectory. And so, obviously, the first was with when my my first son William, who's nine years old, he's born in 2013. When he was born. Um, and maybe even a little before he was born, I grew up without a father. You know that, Ned. Your listeners yeah. don't. My my dad passed away uh, when I was seven, and he was out of the house long before that. Um, and so I had made a commitment prior to my son even being born that uh, we were going to um, we were going to make sure our kids had some sort of uh, stability, um, and and my presence being a, a critical component of that. And so. Uh, we made the move into storage from the other real estate we were doing um, prior to my son's birth. And so when I did that, I left kind of W-2 full-time employment permanently and then got us in a position where my wife could do the same uh, once our son was born. And so we've basically been, for the most part, stay-at-home parents for the last nine years. Um, so and cool. so, yes, and I share that just to... Um, for, for any of the younger dads out there, um, preparation is key. And that doesn't mean if if you already have kids and you're not in the uh, the exact position you want to be, it doesn't mean you can't get there and actually get there faster than you might think. Uh, but that was our first inflection point. The, the next one was likely when we sold our first storage facility. That's kind of when, when I would describe us have, from a financial standpoint, having made it. 
Mm. And and what I often tell people is that uh, if I did anything right along this journey, it's it's that I I was a good steward of our first round of success. So cashing a seven figure check rather than going out and doing what the the younger, less mature version of me would have done with that, um, I really. Uh, sought to be a good steward of it. And we invested a lot of that money into personal development. Uh, that's where I found, you know, various mastermind communities and um, really spent the time more than anything, the time and energy into uh, figuring out, all right, what do we want our life to look like? And we became both Melanie and I very intentional about, all right, we figured out this traditional American dream isn't the one for us. We can't just reject that and not uh, substitute something else for it. And so we spent a lot of time designing the life we wanted and then taking steps toward creating that and making it a reality. How do you do that with your wife? How Mm. are you guys in alignment on that? Great question. And we haven't always been. Um, We, I wouldn't say we were misaligned, but our, we weren't fully aligned is probably the best description of it. I've, I've always been more of a um, growth achievement oriented, like, like pursuer and achiever, if you will. Um, And that's, I I think probably pretty typical of the stereotypical male entrepreneur. Right. Right. Um, And my wife is, is uh, far more concerned with stability and security um, and the, the joke we say is that she's not opposed to change. She just wants to think about it for six months first. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so we are on different timelines when it comes to, uh, taking on new adventures. But what I will say is, and, and to answer your question directly, how have we, uh, kind of accomplished what we have? It's through open communication. Uh, we struggled with what I just described for a while. Um, my pursuits, she would, uh, she would feel to me like she was anchoring me down and I would feel to her like I was running away from her. Mm -hmm. What we came to learn is that our highest values are actually threats to the other person's. So my highest, one of my highest values of pursuit and achievement and growth and development is a direct threat to her safety and security. And her safety and security value is a direct threat to my growth. And so, um, when we stopped taking that personally and started to understand that as individuals, we have these uh, differing values, we found ways. And this is probably the most important thing that she and I have ever um, kind of realized together is that we weren't willing to settle for a life of compromise where, okay, she'll let me do a little of this business stuff. As long as I come back and do a little of this family stuff, like it, it's, we didn't want it to be a tit for tat keeping score kind of dynamic between us. And so we, what we intentionally set out to do was create collaboration rather than compromise. And so now we find ways where my pursuits enhance her stability and security and her desire for stability and security. And some of the things that we do to honor that value of hers can actually be in promotion of some of my values as well. It doesn't have to be this trade-off um, what I would call a false dichotomy, pretending that it's either or we've switched to this and both kind of way of thinking. Yeah. Oh, dude, you said it so well. And that example is, I think, really insightful for people because in my mind, I think that God purposely puts us with somebody that's opposite us, like do male, female, or just my wife and I are opposite in a lot of areas. And I think you're right. A lot of times 
we'll like, we have this collective part of life and then we have our separate lives and we've just compromised that that's how it is. And I think that the opportunity, which is what you're sharing is the purpose of us having those differences is for us to be in conflict and be uncomfortable and then have to work together to make it better, not make it a compromise. Not like I do this for her, but I hate it. Right. Mm -hmm. Or she Mm -hmm. does this for me, but she hates it. That like, what's the point of that? That's not drawing us closer together necessarily. So I think that that's a huge purpose behind what marriage is all about anyways, because the example you set for your kids and to show the world that it's possible for people to like, not all have to think and act exactly the same way. That's what we're missing. And I truly believe that the marriage is really that critical component, you know, in our culture, in our world that has the opportunity to reflect that like goodness of God, that goodness of, of community. But a lot of times we just, we're just too dang selfish and, and don't realize the purpose, you know, and then you miss out. It, that's exactly right, man. And as you were saying that, it, it occurred to me, it's right. Like this dynamic between husband and wife is the same one that God would call us to with him, where it's, mm-hmm. we're called to give with a joyful heart, not with a begrudging, fine, I'll do it because you will make me sleep on the couch if I don't kind of attitude, right? Yeah. And that's what I think um, I've been learning a lot is operating out of gratitude versus out of like a discipline. You know, like I could be disciplined, but if I'm doing something out of a grateful heart, it's like, I really enjoy whatever I'm doing more than if I just, I'm doing this because I have to, or this is what a good husband does or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I love the way you said it. Really good. Um, when you think about the role of the father, what would you describe that as? Yeah, it's a great question, dude, and and that's changed for me very recently. Uh, mm. uh, and I'm not I'm not all that proud to admit that how recent it was because for a while um, I have viewed my role as a father to um, to show my children how to live right, to to raise them to to grow into. Um, some version that I created in my brain for them. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, and that's not all bad. Uh, there are good aspects of that, but I think, uh, the transition I've made more recently and, and one that I find far more resonant with, with what I feel in my soul is, is that I recognize it, it's not my job to, to turn them into who I think they should be, but, but instead I I've adopted this mentality of, of my job is to create a container or, or a space and then expand that space within which they feel safe and secure to fully express who they truly are. And in doing so become who God created them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's uh, far more abstract than the, Hey, we don't do that because I said so kind of parenting Ooh, that right. I've adhered to in the past. Uh, so it's by no stretch easy. Uh, but I am finding that it's creating a whole lot more peace in both inside of me as well as in our household. So with that being said, with everything, there's too far control. There's too far. Um, what I would say is, and, and you're not saying this, but I want to help dads to go. You as a dad still do create guardrails, boundaries. You said create space, a bubble, whatever. So how would you, and this is like you said, it's abstract. It's really hard to say, but how would you say that you do put up a guardrail without it being control? And I'm sure Mm, if we, you mm, know, mm, just mm. what are your thoughts around that? We don't have to have the solution, 
But I think that's the wrestle that a dad should have. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a phenomenal question. And for me, the answer is relatively straightforward and also very, very hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way to do it successfully in my eyes is to still create boundaries. Mm -hmm. There are still rules that need to be followed. And and there are things that are and are not acceptable behaviors. Um, The difference being, I'm trying not to use judgment and shame to enforce those boundaries. Yeah. Right. That's, that's moving past, Hey buddy, you threw the ball through the window. You shouldn't do that to that. That's right. You made a mistake. You should feel a little guilty. We can fix that. Let's talk about it. As opposed to what the hell's wrong with you, which gives him the impression I'm a mistake. Hmm. Right. And those are two very different things. I can scare the crap out of my kid and get him to behave well. But if he's only behaving well out of fear, it's not going to create the long term character that as as a father, I'd love to see my son develop. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And and I, I have a feeling that a good majority of my listeners are probably people who have been in church or have grown up in church. This wouldn't be like a Christian podcast per se. But um and and if people are resonating with me, I think that I grew up with, you know, that I mean, I was born in 83, 80s, 90s. I feel like church, church in a lot of ways, it was about looking good on the outside. So it mm-hmm. was kind of a more about the pastor on stage said, don't do this or do that. And so you kind of followed it. So you were kind of led more by, oh my gosh, I remember going to like a youth event, bro. And the whole stage was set up as hell and it was ridiculous. And it was like a scare tactic. Mm. And, and so I, I wonder, you know, like I've been making a big shift in my life the last five years around this. So I think men, if you like, look at why you do what you do, like, why are you showing up? Well, is it out of gratitude or is it out of like a discipline of fear? Because you need to make that shift so that then you could create the space to like allow your kid. And it could be, maybe you grew up in church. It could be the way your dad responded because the way his dad responded. Um, So I think it's, I think that the bubble that you just talked about is really helpful the way you said it is how are you motivating them and yeah, why right and, and to go right along with that it it comes down to um you know unconditional unconditional acceptance and love right my my kids here every day um whether whether they're behaving well or or really testing me is i love you right now forever and always no matter what i love mm-hmm. you when you're angry and i love you when you're happy and um, what the transition we've made is to get away from uh, kind of squashing our kids' emotions, right? Because mm. if you think about it, oftentimes it's our kids' emotional responses that drive us craziest, right? The tantrums, yeah. the yelling, um, the crying, all of those things. And as I've become more and more comfortable with my own emotional spectrum, it's given me the opportunity to extend that grace and forgiveness not, not even forgiveness, that grace and create the space for my kids to feel those emotions and not judge them as inherently good or bad, just as part of the human experience. And, and that allows them to process the emotions and um, develop, I would say, optimally, as opposed to doing the, well, I can't yell because dad told me not to. And then they're just right. repressing this anger that explodes when they become 15 or whatever the case may be, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think as dads to remember back to when we were kids and, you know, the the stupid crap we did, whether our parents caught us or not, caught us or not, 
but our job is more to be a guide to our kid, they're gonna screw up. And I think that sometimes we don't realize like they're gonna screw up. And so what how are you gonna show up for them? Um, oh dude, really good. Okay, I have another question that has just kind of popped in my head from this. Growing up with a dad who left and then was gone at age seven, how have you stepped into your role as a father and kind of made your own blueprint? Was there, you know, father-like figures you saw that inspired you? Was there this feeling of, I'm always going to be there for my kid? What are some of the things that have led you to engage in fatherhood the way you have? Yeah, it's a great question. And definitely you nailed it. I mean, a lot of it was just the commitment, like, um, you know, I'm going to be there for my children mm-hmm. and, and, and be there means a couple different things. Back in the day when I decided that it just meant, you know, I'm not going to leave them. Um, and I'll be here, but if I'm still working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, it, Hey, mm-hmm. they got, they got better than I got as a kid. So they better be happy with it. And right. uh, I'm not, I'm not saying that boastfully, that was, uh, 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 uh just a, a feeling I had and something I had to work through. There was a good bit of time where my oldest son and I butted heads a couple years, um, and we're not out of it yet, but we're in a really good spot compared mm-hmm. to where we were two years ago, where um, I held a lot of resentment because he would disrespect me. At least that's what I perceived it as. Right. Um, and and the thought that went through my head is, do you know how lucky you are to even have a dad who loves yes. you? Yes. And you're going to treat him this way. And so I would then escalate the situation, my emotional immaturity and his would just ratchet off each other until the whole house was going to blow. Um, and, and so I think the short answer to your, to your question is what I have done is I have sought my own personal healing journey. Uh, (laughs) that started with my dad. Of course, that's the low hanging fruit, right? If your dad dies when you're seven and people ask about your childhood and what problems you had, like that's where you go. Right. Uh, what I've learned is that's absolutely a critical component of it and it's not all of it. And so I've been on what I describe an archaeological dig into my childhood and kind of where some of the triggers and 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 maybe maladaptive coping strategies that that I uh, still have today, where those might have originated. And I'm working through going back into those experiences um, and processing the emotions for the first time as a 41-year-old when maybe it was an experience when I was 7 or 10 or 13 or 18, whatever it was. Um, and, and creating a bit of resolution for myself so that, uh, well, let me say that the result that I'm starting to experience from that is my kids' emotions are no longer a big deal. Mm. When I couldn't process my own emotions and hid in my intellect and my achievement, my kids' emotions freaked me out. And so I would respond and react in a way to try to, you know, dump water on them and just, just put that fire out. Now that I've um, learned that emotions aren't intrinsically good or bad, even the ones that the world would say are bad, like sadness and anger and fear, right? That everybody just wants happy and joy all day. And that's not, that's not how he designed the system. So, um, as I've come to grips, uh, through that own personal journey, it's put me in a position to not only be here in the house with my children, but be present to who they are in, in all of their forms, the, the cute and adorable and the, uh, the potentially infuriate, infuriating forms, right? Yeah, dude, Mike, I got to tell you, this is bringing a lot of clarity for me. And I want to just take you on this little mental journey. A lot of times I, I when I hear, you know, 38 to 45 year olds talk about like going back and archaeologically going through their past and bringing up all this stuff. I'm like, 
what's the point? And to, to some level, like, what's the point? But the couple things that I heard you say and just you're you're just sharing the facts is I think that when you're in an argument with your nine-year-old or seven-year-old or whatever age your kid is, to think, what am I bringing to this, right? Because if I'm only saying you need to do what dad said, and, and and I think a lot of dads, a lot of us would say, I don't need to work on that stuff. I'm fine. But the reality is to say I'm fine, you're not paying attention to what you're bringing to this escalation because it's not just your kid that has the problem. It's you. You're bringing something to this. Mm-hmm. So I like that because I think too many of us say I'm fine. And it's not like, let's go. You know, I think guys think, oh, let me go sit for an hour and cry once a week. Maybe you do need that. But to go work on yourself, if you don't want to do it for you, do it for your kid. Do it for your marriage because you're bringing something. So that really resonated like with a reason why. Um, and then ultimately, we want to be here and be present. And, and I love that that's, that was kind of the core of why you want to know yourself well is so that you can really be present with your family. Absolutely. And I I know we probably should wrap up and continue the conversation. But uh, one last point I want to make, and this happened very recently at a at a uh, Front Row Dads retreat that I was at. Mm. Um, I was presented with with a quote and not the first time I've seen it, but the first time it, it struck me, it's um, uh, I, I think it was Thomas who, who said it in the Bible that uh, if you do not, uh, if you bring forth what is inside of you, what you bring forth will save you. And if you do not bring forth what is inside of you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. Uh, and what I good. realized is that my challenges with trying to parent my my children with shame and judgment, trying to get them to be to 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 fall in line and do as I thought they should do, um, that was rooted in some some of my own self judgment and shame that I carried about some some uh, some of the childhood stuff that I endured. And what I recognized is that I hadn't let that stuff out. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm not talking about singing it from the rooftops necessarily. I, I just needed to talk to somebody, a trusted friend and and share these feelings. And when I shined a light on it, it released from me. And it was like, mm-hmm. whoa, For the, I will say this, Ned, without hyperbole, for the first time in my life, I feel like it's possible for me to parent my children without shame or judgment. Am I saying mm. that I'm already doing it and that I'll never screw up? Absolutely not. But I see it as a possibility, whereas prior to my experience at that retreat recently where I was holding on to the shame and the judgment and and I didn't even know what it was all about until I started digging or, or digging deeper, maybe um, once I released that. It became possible for me to treat my kids in that same way. But when you have any degree of of self-loathing or hatred, and I know that sounds way overly dramatic, like your listeners probably think I'm spent half my time in the fetal position now. <laughs> like, <laughs> trust me, it's it's it was just a small part of me, but it was a very small part of me inside that I needed to reconcile with, forgive myself for some of the decisions I made as a as a kid or a teenager. Um, so that I can then extend that same unconditional acceptance to my own kids. Mm. Dude, thank you. Thank you for this. This is really good. And I think that this is what men need to hear and want to hear. It's just like, they're not always like to get to that vulnerable state, you know, and it's something I I said at the beginning when I introduced you is, is I really appreciate that you can get there, um, which just really means you're comfortable in your own skin, which is something that we're all working towards. Um, but there's a couple great stories I want to jump into. So, so let's, let's go, but guys sit on that, take that. Don't miss what was just shared. 
Okay, so we're we're the podcast is fatherhood field notes. Clearly, we're doing it. I mean, you are opening up your journal, your field notes for us to appear into your life. The mantra behind it is rebel and create. And it's it could be simply I'm rebelling against my childhood so I could create this, or I'm rebelling against, you know, having my kids in school so I can create this, or I'm rebelling against having my phone at the dinner table so I can create this. So when you hear rebel and create, what resonates inside of you right now? Like what are you rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of that? Yeah, I love this question that that you always pose. And and my answer is one that uh uh, well, I'll just say it. We we are rebelling against the idea that essentially we're rebe- rebelling against the status quo. This idea that it's normal to work 40, 50, 60 hours mm-hmm. a week for 20, 30, 40 years in hopes of someday maybe having the chance to buy back our freedom and do this thing people call retirement. Um, I, I simply don't buy that. I don't think it's a great way to live. I think that... Um, uh, the the systems there are there are systemic um, causes that create limiting beliefs in most everybody in our society uh, where they think that that's uh, that's just how it is and so we should be lucky and f- feel fortunate enough that that we have the opportunity to work so put your head down and work your life away um, I I just simply believe that time is far more valuable than money. Uh, we can always make more money. We can never make more time. And so um, my wife and I, along with our children, have set up a life where uh, we try to work between myself 10 to 15 hours a week. Um, right now is what feels good. Sometimes there are seasons where it's a little more, sometimes seasons where it's a little less. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, that's what we that's what we've, we're rejecting. And and what we hope to create out of that is an awareness around uh, for others that that the same is possible for them. There's nothing special about the Wagners that allow them to do this life and nobody else can. I I quite literally believe that everybody has the capacity to do it if they're willing to put in the work because it's not easy. It doesn't happen overnight. It it takes sacrifice um, and it's entirely doable. One of the things that I if I could wave a magic wand and and just erase it. Uh, from existence is the limiting beliefs that 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 hold people back that, hmm. that you know they have this spark inside of them where they know there's got to be more to life than this but they and there's an, a, a quote about this they allow um, fear to stop them and they disguise that fear as practicality well hmm. it wouldn't be practical to try that and so they never do fast forward you know, you, you read read the book about the the five five regrets of the dying, and they're all um, not more than one degree of separation from some of what I just shared. And so mm-hmm. uh, I'm just trying to live a life where when I'm on my deathbed, I can look back and go, man, we played full out the whole time. We didn't we didn't let other people tell us what and wasn't uh, possible, and, and we kind of created our own set of rules and we played by them. Dude, dig it. So I'm going to ask two questions about this. Question one is when you say that 10 to 15 hours, is that the like, oh gosh, I hate this. I'm about to go work 15 hours. Or is it something you enjoy doing? And then the second part to the question is, say we're just breaking down 40 hours. Okay. So 40 hour work week. Now you've got 25 hours. I I got a feeling that that 25 hours you're not spending on Netflix and golfing. Mm -hmm. There's probably some other way that you're and I'm going to kind of lead the question, providing value in this world. So talk to me about those two pieces. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate the question. You're 100% right. Um, we're fortunate where storage pays our bills. 
Um, and so that happens literally in about an hour uh, of work a week. Um, and there is some have to in that, right? There is, I got to check the emails. I got to read the financial reports. I got to make sure the manager's doing what they're supposed to be doing. There's a little bit of have to in that. I don't think we ever eliminate that. Um, or at least I'm not there yet. Uh, the rest of it is is more of my passion project. That's mm-hmm. the community that I that I use to to teach other people how to do the same thing. Uh, what I describe uh, as a as a worthy goal for a lot of people is to start to transition away from a life filled with have tos and shoulds. So I have to get up at eight, be in the office by nine, stay there till five. Then I have to get home. Blah 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 blah. Right? Or I should do this. I should do that. We transition, and I'm fortunate now to to say that I essentially live a life that is almost completely get-tos, mm. um, where we decide what we do. Now, I am working when when I'm teaching or coaching or we're doing a live event soon. Like th- That's all work, and I define work as um, something that takes me away from my family in exchange for financial compensation. Okay. Most of what I do doesn't feel like work, and I think that's very important a very important uh, long-term goal for everybody. Yeah. But to think any of us are going to get there overnight. Listen, I paid my dues. I worked, you know, I sat in a, in a dingy storage office, you know, for, for 30, 40 hours a week for the first couple of years. Cause I didn't know any, I wasn't any smart enough to do it any other way. Um, I didn't know about systems and all that sort of thing. So um, there's definitely a transition to answer your second question about those extra 25 hours. Um, a lot of it is, is self-care. So uh, exercising daily, um, meditation, prayer, reading, journaling, um, talking to coaches, going to masterminds, investing in in me, right? The the only asset that uh, that I really have full control over is is me. Um, and then the rest of it is dedicated mm. to my family. So um, whether we're doing movie night tonight or playing games, or um, I'm trying to be more supportive of my, of my wife in her homeschooling of our children, she is she's definitely the pilot, and I'll always only be the co-pilot. But I'm trying to be a help, helpful co-pilot as to one that you know, as opposed to the fourth child that she also has to educate. Um, and and so uh, we redistribute that time in ways that. Um, that fill us up really. And that's going to be different for everybody. I'm not trying to project, uh, uh, you know, my values onto anybody else. I think the, uh, the real key is to have people spend the time to really define what they want their life to look like. Mm-hmm. And then when they think they've drawn that out and it includes the cars and the houses, which there's nothing wrong with to get down to the why behind that. Right. We've got a nice big truck and a nice big camper. Why? Well, because we appreciate the benefits of all five of us moving from a a large house in the suburbs into this little mobile trailer that we drive around the country and are forced to live in a very intimate way, literally 330 square feet of living space for four or five months out of the year. That is something that we chose. It's not always easy. It's actually not always fun. But it's Mm -hmm. always something we do because we get to. And if it, if there comes a time when we don't appreciate it the way we currently do, then we'll adapt and evolve and do something else. Uh, but it will always be by choice rather than out of necessity if if we can help it. Obviously, there are things that are um, sometimes beyond our control and we'll have to, uh, we'll have to roll with the punches at times, I'm sure, in our life. But uh, when we're afforded the opportunity, we're always going to uh, uh, try to take what life gives us and, and make the best of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 
Man, so good. I just encourage people. I mean, a great time of year too. You're at a new year is go look at your life, start designing it, start moving towards that and realize it's not going to happen overnight. I do want to ask before I ask my final question, I want to ask about this, this connection with your son in Zion and, Mm -hmm. and just have you share a bit about this. Um, so, so tell us the story. Yeah, dude. So this was this past April, I think we were in uh, Zion National Park. And uh, for your listeners who may not know, there is uh, what's arguably top five or top 10 most dangerous hikes in the in the country is in Zion National Park. It's not very long. Uh, It's about five and a half miles, takes a couple hours up and and an hour and a half down. Um, And my son's a really good hiker. As an eight year old, he's done uh, you know, 13 to 16 mile hikes with me, uh, usually leaving me in his dust. Like he's a strong hiker, but he's also an eight year old. And so he's got moments, uh, one where he's very defiant, um, two, where he maybe not fully, he doesn't fully understand the risks uh, around him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and long story short, uh, we hadn't planned on doing it, but we, it, the night before I was talking with my wife, I said, listen, we should put in for the lottery and see if we can get a permit to do this hike tomorrow. And she said, do you think he's ready? And I said, I think he's ready to try it. And you can trust me to pull the plug if at any point he proves that he's not ready. And so we won the lottery and we're doing this hike. Now, for um, the folks that aren't familiar with it, jump on YouTube, check it out. It is a very gnarly hike. Uh, The last, I'm going to say three quarters of a mile or a mile are effectively um, a trail that is roughly three feet wide. And on either side is a 15 to 1700 foot straight drop with zero second chances. Like it's literally uh, you, you slip, you're dying. Um, so many of your listeners are calling child protective services now <laughs> on me wondering why I would do such a thing. I assure you, uh, we put the fear of God in my son the night before we talked uh, a, a lot about how dangerous this was how much responsibility we were giving him and how he needed to respond to that responsibility in a way that that showed he understood the dangers and and I built him a harness that I used and held on to him and there are excuse me there are um chains and railings to hold on to the whole way up and so I was always holding on to the railing as all also holding on to his harness um and and the reason it was so great, one, it was a cool physical feat, and and there's something to sweating with your son, and yeah, and and in the accomplishment of climbing a mountain, right? That's more than just symbolic; it's very cool. But the huge takeaway for me was, um, I had a, a lot of the challenges my son and I had had prior to that were all around self res- or, or respect, right, and mm. his defiance and me feeling disrespected. And what I learned through that experience is. He was as respectful to me as he's ever been. He was very respectful to the mountain and the dangers mm-hmm. it posed, uh, mature beyond his years. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I get goosebumps as I think about this. What I realized is that he was responding to the respect that I was giving to him by oh. allowing him to take this. So I had always, you know, tried to coerce respect out of him. And it turns out all I had to do was give him the respect and his natural inclination was to mature and give it back to me uh, without second second guessing himself. Oof, man, that opportunity as a father to give to your son 
I mean, this goes back to the way that you spoke about stewardship. You spoke about stewardship as a response. You didn't say it specifically, but to the things that God has put in your care, mm. right? So God has mm-hmm. given you this respect to say, hey, I'm going to give you three kids and a wife and a business and this. Let's go, right? Mm-hmm. Let's see. Without it being about this is what you have to do, this is what you get to do. And now you are able to see your eight-year-old son and give him these opportunities to step into who he is, which, I mean, dude, that's our job as a dad and father is to invite our kids into opportunity, create that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact, I, a couple things I think of is like, one, this wasn't just, oh man, it's crazy too, like that uh, you, when you were seven years old, right? The same age, like mm-hmm. the difference. Um but it shows two things like one, the time that you invested in your kid from the day he was born to this moment. It's not like you'd just been working a hundred hours a week and then showed up and went on this hike. There's like you invested so that he could do this. You spent time, you took him on walks around the block. You took him on short little hikes. You probably carried him on your back on a thousand hikes or hundreds. You know what I mean? And so it was all the little things you did to this point, but then it was also you not saying, when he's 13, we're going to do this. When he's 15, oh, when he's 18, we're going to do this. You call him up now. And I think that's a, that's huge. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. It was, uh, it was literally a experience that I think both of us will remember forever as, uh, uh, certainly it's been a highlight thus far and, Mm -hmm. and not that we need to one up it, but I hope to create many more experiences of, of, uh, similar impact for both of us because yeah. it was it was that's what I'm learning more than anything is this whole fatherhood thing is uh, is a two way street mm-hmm. um, it, not one where um, where I let him call the shots per se um, and and we confuse who's the father and who's the son because that's not part of uh, what I'm what I'm trying to imply here but but I think what is important is to understand that. Um, our children are a gift from God and they were given to us for, um, for more than just the reason that, that we've been trusted to raise them. They also have lessons to teach us. Um, and I'm finding that to be true for all, from all three of my kids. Yeah. It's almost going back to that same thing that we talked about with you and your wife, you know, not to create this, um, compromise, with our kids, but this opportunity for us both to enter in to like, what are the things that threaten me about you? And what are the things that threaten you about me? You know, like that was a really beautiful thing you shared. And it's an opportunity for us both to grow as human beings. And it's a different friction, right? It's a different Mm -hmm. friction that we experience with our children. Um, I mean, and at every stage, you know, the difference with them is you start to get it, you know, they're five, you start to get into a groove and then freaking a, they change (laughs) to some other stage. And all of a sudden now it's not, no, it's whatever it is, you know? Um, and that's, what's kind of cool about fatherhood is like, we can have all these conversations and write books and all stuff, but you got to live it and experience it. And that just is it, right? You just got to be all in. Uh, Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree with you more. Oh, bro. I'm sad. I'm watching the clock. I'm like, no, it can't be. (laughs) But I'm going to ask you my final question. And it's a legacy question. And the question is, imagine 30 years from now. Okay. Your son will be 40. He'll be kind of where you're at. So imagine 30 years from now, you're standing in a cul-de-sac peering into three homes and you see your kids living their lives. What is it that you see 
being played out inside that home and, you, and it's like you get a smile on your face like, oh, all right, you know, the work I did, the day in, day out uh, effort that I put in, it, 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 this is why it matters. It matters. What do you see? Yeah, it's a great question, man. And 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 I don't know that what I see is is uh is all that easily articulated um you know through visual description or or through outward witnessing. Mm-hmm. Uh but what I hope to see inside my children as they're raising their children um is that they have an ability to model for their kids what unconditional self-acceptance looks like. So that mm. uh, I will raise my children to love and accept themselves just as they are flaws and all part of the human experience. Um, and in doing so, be able to um, create a, a similarly secure uh, experience for their own kids. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, because you can't, I mean, it starts there, right? It starts with you accepting you. Mm-hmm. And being happy with the version of you and growing into that. So I think that that is such a beautiful way to express because that's the journey you're on, right? And and that you realize that you're continuing to be on and for them to follow that same suit. If you do that, then everybody wins. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. that is love in the world. Absolutely. That That is that is what it comes down to. I don't I don't believe that we can give to anyone else that which... Uh, we don't already possess. And so if we don't love ourselves completely, there's no way that we can love others completely. And um, mm. I've experienced the uh, the insane and immense benefits of of um, working through that dynamic and and the the ability, the enhanced ability to love others um, that I've experienced coming only after I figured out how to love and accept myself, even for the flaws and 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 all of that. Um, and so that's what I want for them. And and I know if they have that, everything else is just a bonus, right? Traveling around in a camper six months a year, working, you know, only as many hours as you want. That's all great and good. Um, but if if that's not a direct result of the inner work, then even those things won't produce the fulfillment uh, that uh, that I think we're all ultimately after. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude. So good. I want to share this this morning prayer that we have cultivated in our house. And I'll tell you, when I remind my kids to say it, it's not like they're like, yay, dad, we're doing this. It's a a roll their eyes and I'm reminding them this is why. So it's pieced together. One part, part one is from my grandmother. And it's as soon as you wake up, it's good morning, God. Very simple. So good morning, God. Just a reminder. This is not about me. I'm not king or queen of the universe. I'm, I'm, acknowledging. And then the second part I learned from a pastor and it's, it was, it's good to be Ned or it's good Mm -hmm. to be Brooklyn. It's good to be Mike. And so good morning, God, it's good to be Ned or it's great to be Ned. And that second piece is I'm happy with who you made. I'm happy with me. Mm -hmm. I'm content with me. I don't want to be Mike. You know, I don't want to be some, the neighbor. And, and it's just this acknowledgement that, yeah, it's good to be me. Even if I might not feel it, it's it's I want to remind myself that I'm on this pursuit of who I am. So yeah, I love that, dude. I might be stealing parts of that. Do it. Do it. That's how we all grow from learning from each other. Mike, thank you for sharing your life with us. Thank you for the work you've done on yourself so that you can show up well for your kids, for your wife, for all those that you come in contact with, and your willingness to be vulnerable, open, and honest so that other men could be listening on their run or in a car and go and take this and love their families well. So keep doing what you're doing. 
appreciate and love you, brother. And uh, just all the time spent with you is, is very meaningful to my life. So thank you. Thank you, Ned. I really appreciate it, man. All right, bro. Until next time. All right. We'll see you, brother. Oh, my friends, what another incredible conversation. I knew it would be jam-packed full of gold for you. What an inspiration Mike is. Be here, my friends. Be present. This is your life. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebellion Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. Oh, 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 oh,